Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a Minimalist Monday edition of Optimal Living Daily, episode 1130, Understanding the Poetics of Space, by Victoria Vargas with RowdyKittens.com, and I'm Justin Mollick. Happy Monday, welcome back to Optimal Living Daily, or the OLD podcast, where I read to you from some of the best blogs I can find and get permission from, mostly covering personal development and minimalism on this show. We cover a bunch of other topics in the Optimal Living Daily podcast network, which includes four other shows, Definitely subscribe to those if you like this one. Today is a guest post from Rowdy Kittens. Let's get right to it and start optimizing your life. Understanding the Poetics of Space by Victoria Vargas with RowdyKittens.com. One of the main facets of simple living revolves around simplifying the spaces in which we live. Purging our excess stuff and decluttering our homes is a first necessary step to simplifying and freeing our lives for what matters. Getting rid of the material things that don't serve us often brings the realization that we don't need as much space in which to live. Downsizing to smaller digs is typically the next logical step. So there you are. You've purged all the excess stuff you warehoused in your home for years and maybe, hopefully, even downsized to a smaller residence. Now, how do you make your space home, one that supports your simple living goals? Unfortunately, or blessedly, there's no single formula for creating a sense of home in our dwellings. I've long been interested in how our surroundings affect us emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Why do some spaces seem to feed us while others deplete us? Why do some spaces make us feel supported, relaxed, and happy, while others make us feel vaguely or acutely uncomfortable, restless, and drained? Why are some people in absolute bliss in a bare room with white walls furnished only with a table adorned with a vase and single flower, and to others this feels sterile and bleak? Why do some people feel claustrophobic in small, cozy rooms with walls covered in bookshelves and artwork, while others feel exposed and vulnerable in large rooms with soaring ceilings? With everyone I've talked to about this, it always seems to be visceral, an inexplicable, instinctual feeling, either positive or negative, that is evoked when in certain types of built environments. But just as interesting, it also applies to our feelings in different natural settings. Some people are drawn to the open expanse of the prairie, while others feel skittish and exposed. Some, like myself, prefer the soothing shelter of mountains and forests, while others prefer the dynamic action of the ocean. Some people are more comfortable in small towns, while others seem to literally need the energy and density of a large city. It makes me wonder if our environmental preferences and needs are coded right into our DNA. Is it possible that we each hold some level of faint ancestral memory as to which types of environments we need to inhabit to thrive? 
Size of dwelling, however, seems to be more about personal wants than needs. One does not need a large house to thrive. If this Great Recession, peak oil era, and global warming data have taught us anything, is that we need to live smaller and walk more lightly on this earth. Thankfully, the overconsumption pendulum is swinging back to a saner and more responsible way to live. As I connect with more and more people who are transforming their lives to live more simply, it gives me great optimism for our future. A big step for many is reducing the square footage of the dwellings they inhabit. Any dwelling small and square footage can feel open and expansive if it has an open layout with tall ceilings and huge banks of windows across the walls. I've experimented quite a bit through the past 10 years with home sizes, room sizes, furniture scale and arrangements, wall color, fabrics, and artistic elements. And I finally come to identify those pieces that together form the supporting refuge I need in my home. What I've also come to realize is that what works for me often wouldn't work well for someone else. What makes a dwelling a home is deeply personal. Alain de Botton, a modern philosopher, delves deeply into the relationship between our emotions and our built environments in his book, The Architecture of Happiness. In one of my favorite essays in the book, he writes, quote, the house has provided not only physical, but also psychological sanctuary. It has been a guardian of identity. Over the years, its owners have returned from periods away and on looking around them, remembered who they were. Along the stairs, small still lives of eggs and lemons draw attention to the intricacy and beauty of everyday things. On a ledge beneath a window, a glass jar of cornflowers helps to resist the pull towards dejection. Although this house may lack solutions to a great many of its occupants' ills, its rooms nevertheless give evidence of a happiness to which architecture has made its distinctive contribution, end quote. Our built environments have a profound effect on us, it's clear. So in our haste to declutter our spaces, downsize, and simplify our lives, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater by unequivocally equating simplicity with austerity or any four walls with a home. Instead, let's each take the freedom gained from the purging of too much stuff and too large of spaces and use it to create our true home, one that supports and nurtures us and reminds us of what we value, who we are, who and what we love, how we wish to live our lives, and just as important, that which we find beautiful and inspiring. Minimalists may find beauty in less, while others on the simple living path may yearn for a bit more texture, color, and imagery. That is as it should be. Just as one size doesn't fit all when it comes to our dwellings, one approach to simplicity or minimalism doesn't fit everyone either. We are all in different places along our paths, and none of our paths are exactly the same. It is in satisfying our idiosyncrasies and stylistic preference, openness to experience how particular spaces affect us, and an understanding of what we need or can't abide in our surroundings to support and nurture us that we can find and transform a dwelling into a home. For me, simple living and happiness are both intimately intertwined with where and how I live. I depend on my small home to be a guardian of my identity to remind me of who I am upon returning from the cacophony and confusing chaos of a consumer-driven and materialistic society. If I am not supported, comforted, and inspired by my own home, how will I maintain the strength and conviction to walk my talk in the outside world? You just listened to the post titled Understanding the Poetics of Space by Victoria Vargas with RowdyKittens.com. I think that addresses a super common question that I hear in minimalist Facebook groups, mostly about being a minimalist and not wanting to have bare walls and no decorations. 
Hopefully that sheds some light on the topic for you. And don't forget, I'll be giving away another book to a random person on my mailing list soon. That list sends you a simple weekly newsletter with life tips and quotes, plus what's going on in my life and with the podcast, free spreadsheets and worksheets that I come across and find helpful, and those book raffles. All that for being part of my weekly newsletter. So if you're not already on the mailing list, come join. Just visit oldpodcast.com and enter your email address to join. Or if that takes too long for you and you're in the United States, you can text the word optimal to the number 44222. Either that or come by oldpodcast.com. I'll leave it at that. Hope your week is off to a great start. Thank you for being here and listening to me and for subscribing to the show. And I'll be back reading to you tomorrow where your optimal life awaits. Hey, this is Dan from the Optimal Finance Daily Podcast, which is a lot like this show, except more focused on personal finance. Justin handpicks the best posts he can find from blogs and authors like Ramit Sethi, Mr. Money Mustache, and more, and I read them to you five days a week. So if you enjoy this podcast, come on over and subscribe to Optimal Finance Daily too. And together, we'll optimize your financial life. You've been listening to Optimal Living Daily. Be sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on each new episode and head to oldpodcast.com. That's oldpodcast.com for a free gift as well as more actionable tips and resources to help you maximize your potential. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your optimal life awaits.